Hello, pay pigs and prayer warriors. Welcome back to the show. It's Kenny speaking. This is season two of Big Soy Naturals. Welcome back. How was your non-denominational holiday break if you had one? Wow, that sounds amazing. That sounds so good. Um, This episode is going to be a weird one. Um, It's going to be split into two parts. They're going to be up at the same time. Um, You know, we got back from our holiday break. And wouldn't you know it, we had so much to talk about that this recording ended up being four hours long. You're welcome. But we have realistic expectations of our audience. We don't expect you to listen to four hours straight. So this is going to be split into two parts. The first part is just going to end on a musical fade. um, And that's going to be a little distressing for all of you, I know. But then the second part will be up at the same time. And if you are, you know, hungry and willing, you can go listen to that right away or you can save it for a little later. I hope that satiates your gaping maws. You are hungry little baby birds, starved for content. And after a long, hard winter, we have come back with the fruits of our labor, um, hoping to keep your bellies full. I hope that metaphor made sense at all. Anyway, on with the show. You're listening to Big Sewer Natural. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke, I just want to smoke. introduce yourself so that I can introduce myself yeah sure uh I'm Kendall you can call me Kenny I guess um if you're my friend which you are if you listen to the podcast hello and you know welcome back um we took a little non-denominational holiday break um and now we're we're back here um Cerise would you like to introduce yourself or actually yeah yeah, Cerise found dead in a ditch. Cerise mm-hmm. is done. Um, I have a new name. My new name is Virgil. I don't want to hear any comments about it besides, like, mm-hmm. cool name. Um, the other thing that you could tell me, though, is, like, as stands of mine, are you neurodivergils? Are you mm-hmm. Virgilantes? Are you virgins? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, it doesn't ha- you doesn't even have to have my name in it because, like, you could be little Dante's, like, I'm leading you through hell. Um, a lot of options. Speaking of options, Kenny, I'm going to, mm-hmm. in the in the spirit of the new year, I'm going to look back on the past. Okay. And I, I have um, two television show concepts to share with you. Oh, um, all right. Here's one called Seriously Dude, I'm Gay. Um, This was a two-hour special of reality (laughs) television that was planned for broadcast on Fox. Would you like to guess what this reality TV show concept was all about? You have to guess 
who the gay guy is or ooh ooh no it's the opposite everyone says they're gay and you have to guess who the straight one is it's like two truths and a lie but it's <laughs> it's two, it's two gays <laughs> and a straight yeah how right you are okay so it was filmed in west hollywood california according to the wikipedia page for it and this two-hour special was like a competition show and it was a competition between two straight men competing for the life-changing amount of fifty thousand dollars <laughs> to see who could pass themselves off more convincingly as a gay man the contestants were required to move into separate lofts with gay roommates come out to their best friends go to the <laughs> nightclubs and compete in a variety of daily challenges i love this <laughs> uh the two straight men were a 22 year old student from florida a 28 year old salesman from massachusetts would you like to, to take a gander at what these co- it just came to me guess I feel like it means guess, but like I'm just using it because it's. I wanted to use a fancier word. Yeah, get. But it can't uh, mean guess because they're like. No, what's good I for think the gander. Is what's good for the gander. I feel like gander means like a like so a like look, a noun. like a peak. Like a. I mean, we're like gonna a, look up. Take the word a look at this when mm-hmm. we're done. But would you like <laughs> a, like to take a guess at what some of the daily challenges were? Um. Okay. Uh the daily challenges um i feel like it would be like going um to like gay events um and trying to pass yourself off as gay or ooh ooh um holding a man purse like a like a like a egg drop <laughs> race with like a man purse um because i'm thinking like the early 2000s right like when metrosexual was like a was like a popular term um metrosexual wasn't really a thing until like 2007 like okay yeah yeah yeah. fair fair. this was prior to metrosexual prior prior to that i feel like there's a lot of like will and grace references here and there um oh my god what else um something having to do with rainbows i would assume Okay, so I feel like you're you're not that far off. Some of the daily challenges included um, swim, swimsuit modeling for a group of gay men, um, confiding in a former teammate that the contestant wrestled due to the enjoyment of close contact with sweaty boys, uh, going on a blind date and then fork feeding them dinner, making a gay face. <laughs> A gay face. (laughs) Making a gay face. Convincing a date to spank them. And naming a male pornographic film actor. Um, And then the contestants were also given coaches. Do you want to guess what the coaches were called? They had like a special Um, like in theme name. uh, Drag moms. (laughs) No. Mentors. Um, and, and the mentors helped them learn how to act, act more gay. Um, mm-hmm. and then the, at the end of the week, the two men were judged by a panel of, uh, actual gay men that were told untruthfully that one of the contestants was actually gay and they had to guess who was who. Um, this show was 
pulled from the air bef- before it aired as soon as it That's was disappointing. announced. That's um, disappointing. I'm upset. This was the, the, ta- <laughs> the tagline for the show was um, a heterosexual male's worst nightmare, turning gay overnight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one lucky winner, judged by a jury of their peers, will win the prize of $50,000. Um, con- one of the contestants... overnight. <laughs> Larry Anderson said, though, that the show taught him that stereotypes weren't true. He was like, I realize that there's no way to act gay. You can just be yourself. Um, (laughs) I am so upset that this didn't air. I want to see this. If you happen to work on Seriously Dude, I'm Straight, and you have some demo copies. Seriously Dude, I'm Gay. Seriously Dude, I'm Gay. Sorry. I misspoke. If you have some demo copies of that lying around... Send us an email. I like. Please. I need. To, I would like I to see it. To see it, like I, I need it. The descriptions of the. I. I mean, I. Two thousand four was a really different time. I feel like mm-hmm. the when I watch early two thousands and like nineties media, it does seem like there was like a contractual obligation by the film studios and like the television networks that you like had to put a gay joke in like every five minutes or your project wouldn't get funded. Like. <laughs> They'll just, like, be in there, like, unrelated to anything. I rewatched Hackers recently, and Hackers is a great movie. Love it. But it also, like, weirdly has, like, a bunch of, like, uh, dude, are you, you gay? Yeah. You gay? And it's, like, <laughs> you gay, everyone, bro? everyone in this movie is gay, actually. Like, They're all gay. You don't, you don't look like that and be a heterosexual rollerblading a hacker sorry but i mean you're telling, that was just you're like, telling me matthew lillard's media. character in hackers wouldn't get absolutely dicked down by casey frey in like five seconds yeah but i think <laughs> like, that that's just like what uh like reality tv was at like at the time mm-hmm. um we're not not just like reality tv um but like media i mean in watch general like, in the early 2000s watch like one of the same sex episodes of like uh the next bus from mtv do you remember Next? No, what uh, was that? MTV's Next was like a it was this fake speed dating show um where like there was a like there was a contestant who was like uh wanted was looking for love and then they brought in like a busload of um like people for them to date and anytime that they wanted to stop the date they would just go next and um then the person would have to leave but the person who uh wins either um and they like time the date for how for how long it goes for, and it's like a dollar every like minute. So um, if the date lasts like thirty minutes, they would get thirty dollars, and they would have to be like, "All right, since this date went really well, do you want thirty dollars or do you want to go on a second date?" And you would have to choose between thirty dollars or a second date. Um, and there were a couple of like same sex episodes, um, both like lesbian and gay, I believe. Um, that were like full on stereotypes and the show's like very, very scripted. Like they all have like one liners like afterwards. She where like there's there'll be like a skater bro and she'll go like next and he'll be like, Whatever, I do an Ollie over that ass. Or something, <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> like it was truly like that was like the era that like I think seriously, dude, I'm gay was kind of like matched with. Um. Yeah, I I really I want to see it. I want to see it so bad. Oh my god! 
Yeah, Give I'm, it to me. I'm trying to watch Seriously, Seriously, Dude, I'm Gay. I want to see what's in it. Um, I think maybe they should remake it for mm-hmm. 2023. Seriously, dude, I'm non-binary. Mm, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so the other one, the other reality TV show um, that I want us to look back on is, is a little bit less funny, but it's more, I, I wanted to actually... Look up the word gander. Okay. <laughs> Tell me what the word gander means. Okay. Okay. It means an adult male goose hmm. um, or to look or glance. Okay. So it's, it's really not guess. Why? What is a goose then? Is a goose a woman? And like a, like what, what? is the word for an adult female goose? Well, like, is goose the woman, gander the man? Or... Um, I don't know. Does the male goose just get a special name? Because that seems unfair. I get... get, Everyone gets to hear my mechanical keyboard right now. Um, Tell us more about your mechanical keyboard. (laughs) It's just loud. Um, Do you use it for gaming? I do. (laughs) Is it... Is it like um I use it for like dungeon crawlers. <laughs> what's the sorry, what's the word that you introduced me to recently? It's like it's like autistic but aesthetic. Oh, aesthetic. <laughs> no, that's what we made up, but like what's the oh, real yeah. word? Oh, um It was like st- stim something, right? Oh, stim uh, stim boards. <laughs> yeah, no, um like that wasn't it either, but I don't know. So something, whatever. If you're autistic and you're listening to Big Story Naturals and you are like under the age of 22, tell us what the word is for like stuff that has an autistic look to it. I feel like this is probably, it's probably like an ableist thing that people are doing to themselves, but I'm going to do it to you. Is that what your mechanical (laughs) keyboard is? Is it, is it? aesthetic yeah Uh, i would say so yeah (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) i haven't been able to change the rgb settings but right now it's it's looking very aesthetic i'm i'm talking about the lights on it like oh (laughs) again that's that's aesthetic (laughs) good for you i'm happy for you I'm pr- I'm proud of you even. I I genuinely hate like on so many of like tech stuff that you get like so many people want like lights on everything. Like s- gamers are fucking they have no taste and they want like stupid little rainbow lights on literally everything they have so that it feels like woo high tech and it drives me crazy. Um but that's the only way I can get like a really decent mechanical keyboard is if there's lights on the back. That it does need backlighting in order for me to see, but like why does it need to like flash every time I like fucking type something like grow up (laughs) I am using the same laptop that I've had since 2010 it is I spilled LaCroix on it a couple days ago (laughs) (laughs) and it's very slow and it crashes constantly um and should we make a Patreon goal that that Virgil gets a new (laughs) Gets a new laptop. Whenever I see a pop-up, I click on it. <laughs> um, so the uh, other other um, 
reflection media Mm -hmm. reality television reflection that i have is not as fun as seriously dude i'm gay but maybe maybe even more problematic and this was the 2011 reality television show called the super and i don't want to be racist but the um main character of this has a very italian sounding last name his name is dave paladino I'm not saying that he's Italian, but uh-huh. I am saying that it is an Italian-American trait to yeah. be a landlord. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they love being landlords all over Philadelphia. Um, but The Super is a reality television show, like, I guess kind of akin I feel to, like, like told me about undercover bosses or something where it's like, yeah. you, well, I guess the opposite of undercover bosses, where it's like, you don't, we're going to go through what it's like to be a landlord like we're following him around and like we're supposed cops, to be sympathetic to the landlord because he deals with so much here's the synopsis for the show dave paladino is a landlord for hundreds of properties in omaha nebraska <laughs> hundreds and, and our guide to the unfiltered world of low-income housing for this super, the name of the game is Clean Up. He wants to weed out the bad tenants and keep the good ones happy. He's got a big heart and is generous to those in need. And if you can't pay the play- pay the rent on time, he'll even create a payment plan for you. Just don't start dealing drugs or he'll kick you out on your ass. Patience is love- a virtue when dealing with tenants and their problems, but bolt cuts are a necessity or bolt cutters are a necessity and like literally like the, I'm, the so constant I'm on the contradictions the between and, like like literally being like he's super super nice he'll literally kick you out any fucking second right now <laughs> he's generous he owns hundreds of properties he's gonna also, kill like, you tomorrow <laughs> the unfiltered world of low-income housing like i'll kill you with a gun which is interesting because like um, I'm on the uh, page of the show right now, and some of the episode titles include things such as "I'm about to call 911," uh, <laughs> and "This place is a zoo. You're gonna <laughs> feel the wrath." Uh, <laughs> he got me in a bad mood. Good luck with your cancer. <laughs> Which I'm, like I'm laughing. It's like not funny, but also like this show came out. Like, kind of at the, like, right on the the heels of the 2008 recession. So when Mm -hmm. tons of people um, were losing their homes, like, either because, uh, like, they couldn't afford their mortgage anymore and it was taken away from them. And then they became renters that way. Or, like, because the um, rental market was, like, then flooded with new people, like, people getting pushed into low-income housing. So, and also, like, loads of people were out of work, um, hadn't found new jobs that, like, paid as much as their old jobs did or, like, didn't find new jobs at all. And so we're supposed to, like, watch this and see this man, like, give like some like someone's giving him an attitude when he knocks on their door and he's like can you believe these people and how rude they are um and and like there's one episode that I watched um not that long ago and he goes into this guy's house and the guy is kind of young and he's like unemployed and he's like 
uh, fresh out of college, like early 20s. And his home is like a mess, like it's gross. And um, our landlord character is just like walking around, like picking up his stuff, being like, you're a you're a filthy, filthy, gross, disgusting guy. Like, how can you live like this? Like, you're an animal. And it's like, I I don't we didn't get to know too much about this guy because he didn't like want to be on television getting evicted. Um, But I would imagine that if I were like, um a recent like college graduate right in the like beginning of the recession and I had a difficult time finding a job uh I might be like depressed to the point where I'm not able to clean my home especially maybe if it was something that was new to me and like now I can't pay my rent because I'm unemployed and then this fucking guy comes bursting in with cameras his video games being like oh so you can play video games but you can't get a job you can't clean and it's just crazy like um that it exists at all but also that it came out at the time that it did and I um think that like we've really like we've moved into a different sort of world with reality television um where it's just not like exploitative like the way that media in the early and mid 2000s yeah. where i it doesn't have the same like hit you over the fucking head with a mallet level of like no tact well and like like come <laughs> watch these people get evicted like yeah come watch these people not, suffer was just like something some... that i can well, see now, getting approved like it's not because kind of, of like political yeah. changes in the world so much as it just being like I, I can't see there being an audience for I that. I think there was like a huge shift in reality television when like Netflix started getting into the game. Like I think Queer Eye was a big part of it, but also like even The Circle and um like uh oh my god, what is it called? The the show that Nicholas fucking Lachey hosts, uh where they like ha- they oh Love is Blind. Like, literally those ones that it's like, oh, it's a social experiment and we're just, like, experimenting with, like, the ideas of social conventions. This is actually just, like, a like a study. Like, they're trying to make people feel like well, it's just, I like, a feel-good... There's, there's also an element of, like, first, I guess people have sort of... Like, the, the um, novelty of reality tele- television just doesn't exist anymore. So no mm-hmm. one is watching reality TV now thinking that this is a depiction of things as they happen. Like, everyone mm-hmm. is, like, rich it's like and understanding. like if you told a wrestling editing. fan that was, yeah. like, if you told a wrestling fan, like, you know that shit's made up, right? Like, of course they know. Like, that's that's yeah. part of it. Like, so I think, like, people are not looking to reality TV for, like, uh gritty real life portrayals of things if they ever were but i think the other and like bigger thing is that um characters like the poor people that are being shown on the super just like as they're they're getting kicked out of their homes um existed on that show like only in that show because social media was still like pretty new and not something that everyone was on and now if something like that came out um there would be like if if there was people watching it um people would want to go find out what the other people in the show yeah. had to say about it and you would be able to find what they had to say by going on their twitter or on their instagram or their tiktok or something where they were like i yeah. got evicted on television 
story time emotional i would um, i would definitely <laughs> say like the the juxtaposition between reality tv in the early 2000s versus now is kind of like if like early 2000s reality tv is like much more about like the theater of cruelty like that concept that um they came up with uh who is it it was um uh like yeah our todd who kind of came up with this idea that like people like uh <laughs> like to like they want to like push the social conventions of what's appropriate um by like uh creating like really stark visual representations of cruelty like with big brother and stuff like that's like just watching people go slowly insane with personal conflict with each other same with like jersey shore it's like just watching abject suffering like <laughs> in a lot of ways um whereas like now it's a lot more about like the cinema verite i guess of um the juxtaposition between like the reality and the and the unreality like uh like you think about like seasons of the bachelor where like um like the the bachelor like changes his mind after the show's over and like they bring the cameras and they're like we're gonna bring the cameras and watch him break up with the girl that literally won this season of the bachelor but we'll do it on the reunion episode and we're gonna act like it's real and you're not really sure like what exactly uh is supposed to be real or fake but you know that you want to like you're highly invested in like following all of these like characters and you have to follow it through like the intertextual um like mixed media format of like the show and then these people's social media pages and then like who are who are they following who are they unfollowing like that kind of stuff yeah i will yeah. say that if like not only was i getting evicted but someone showed up to my home with a reality tv camera crew like i i would act out so Done. i would <laughs> i would do anything i would become yeah. so violent like mm -hmm. that would be it um mm -hmm. so those are those are two little blasts from the past and now it's time to look to the future by looking to the year 2022 <laughs> so which looking is, towards the more recent past <laughs> which is which is now over uh -huh. we are officially yes. in the year 2023 mm -hmm. i'm feeling good about i'm feeling 2023 good. um why why wouldn't i <laughs> don't answer. I, I think i think <laughs> it's it's got the potential to be a good year and oh, uh, yeah no it saying does. it out loud it's scary no i'm shaping <laughs> reality to my will <laughs> I won't say whether this year time. No, it will be good. I, for me, I won't say whether this year will be good or bad, but I will say that currently I'm very content with how I ended 2022 and I feel like I've set myself up for good things. Are um, you a resolutions kind of person? Do you make resolutions? Not really. I I find resolutions like not that I'm like setting myself up for failure, but that I find like that um I don't know, setting resolutions just kind of puts a lot of like pressure on me and I'd rather <laughs> set resolutions for like, I don't know, I'd rather set more emotional resolutions, I guess, uh, that are a lot more like vague. Feelings. I know. Get them out of here. I just I like, I, I want to be like, I, I want to be like more anytime. in control. 
I'll set a resolution any day of the week because I I love to treat myself like a hamster and give myself little treats when I do a good job. Um, and there is so many treats that I want to get myself. So I I'm always making myself do more things so that I can mm-hmm. justify getting more treats. And everyone, that is how you manage like a shopping addiction if you have one. I don't. But like I I could I love filling mm-hmm. up my cart online, um, and and having thirty things in there and then just like looking at it and keeping the tab open and then um, my laptop crashes because I click on too many pop ups and then I lose my cart. <laughs> Why do you ha- how do you even have pop ups in the year twenty twenty three? Please tell me that. <laughs> how do you have pop ups? Okay, so you know how there's like ad blocker. Yeah, I am the opposite of that. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a special vexed. extension that I downloaded to see more ads. And I just anything that comes up on my screen, I click it. Um, gotta know like you, want a, you want a free iPod Nano and you're like, oh, <laughs> I do want a free iPod Nano. And I just have a curious mind. You put something in my path. I want to know what it's about. Um so we're we're doing we're taking inspiration from former president of the United States Barack mm-hmm. the Rock Hussein Obama <laughs> uh, sometimes known as Obummer or mm-hmm. Obungler also known in acrostic form as one big ass mistake America um, and something a mistake that he makes every year is mm-hmm. he puts out a best of list of the year before. And I I really like, I'm so happy to see that the public tide of opinion is turning on former president of the United States, Barack Obama. Cause I think that like, this was the first year that I saw a general reaction to it to be like, come on, old man. Yeah. No way. There's no Versus fucking like way. Me and, you know, like our little friends on the internet being the people that are like, come come on, dude. No way yeah. you're listening to Mitski, which is like no, I, what was on his I saw like a general year. a general swath of just people kind of just folding their arms and kind of shaking their head of yeah, just like man really funny corny. and we're like I guess interesting is that when he ran for president and was known, like, I mean, I think he won in big part because no one wanted Hillary. Um, But it was also like he seemed like a cool young guy because he was young. And so him doing this like year end, uh, like best of list back Mm -hmm. in 2008 was part of the image of him being a cool young guy because he was like, 40 something and it was totally was plausible like, that he would in be his listening 40s to Jay-Z yeah. who's like practically his age and that he would oh. be keeping up with new music just like any respectable mm-hmm. Gen X guy who like checks out Pitchfork like he had a Tumblr yeah. but now he's like old and we know that this man was like drone striking left right and center maybe not left um, actually sorry maybe not right um <laughs> and and so it's like it just doesn't it seems facetious now that he's saying that he listens to I think the one that got everyone upset was Ethel Kane. Ethel Kane, yeah. Um, well, she even responded to that being like, you know, my I didn't think like my anti-military uh 
like anti-war uh i've I've got a word for her about that because has she heard of bruce springsteen I People okay. love playing Born in the USA we're gonna, on like we're gonna 4th, talk the 4th about, of July. I don't have, we're going to talk about Ethel eventually. You know, <laughs> I don't have I, an issue with her. Yeah, yeah. It was just like when... People were like, "How could how could Obama misunderstand this song?" It's like people willfully misunderstand anything that has America oh, yeah. in the title in order to be about patriotism, and that's not her fault for making like that kind of art. But that is um, basically just like what happens. Mm-hmm. Chris Christie used to play "Born in the USA" on the campaign trail, and then oh, yeah. Springsteen, or like all the times, like told him to stop. All the times, like, conservatives have, like, tried to use Rage Against the Machine songs to be like, yeah. Right. Fuck, yeah. fuck the so, libs. I'm not surprised that Obama misunderstood, like, mm-hmm. an anti-war song. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's like, less like, oh, I don't think he gets the message. And, like, I just know this man is not listening to Ethel Kane. He He's not listening is, to Ethel Kane. He is listening to, to Jay-Z still. He's not reading. He's old. <laughs> He's not reading Jennifer Egan or fucking like Emily St. John Mandel, like none of these like books that are on like literal like TikTok book lists and NPR like end of the year retrospectives. He probably doesn't know about the NPR ones. Well, he doesn't. I'm saying that like this is like a perfectly algorithmic like list of the, and it always has been, but I think this year it's like particularly blatant how like algorithmic and and silly it is um like well it uh, could have been genuine right when he was 40 because that's like yeah like pitchfork reading type guys would Mm -hmm. be putting out as their best of list is like a a smattering of classics and then some new hits and like a little wild card that's that's what they would all be doing but Mm -hmm. i just don't believe that this man is doing that now and he did put out an autobiography two years ago which is like his fifth autobiography never let a leo become president again america (laughs) um but in his autobiography he was like i read books to impress bisexual women and now we all know what his game is yeah it came it like i was gonna say like the ethereal bisexual line um like rocked like america for quite a bit and i think he that set the groundwork for him to be to for consistently look like a perpetual pick me and femmes <laughs> women and femmes who want to fuck and be poly who are body positive and do not have a primary partner and do not want to be his primary partner but would like to come over his house at 11 p.m and leave at 2 a.m and he shows them his copy of wretched of the earth spine has not been cracked and and then then they leave it's very like i yeah i it's very like guy who says like yeah i'm under the queer umbrella i like skinny who are these guys (laughs) like and not, not like i don't believe you that they exist but like where do you where do you meet these guys i live in portland okay All right, Obama is a Portland man because well, I don't like, know. I, I don't know those guys. Well, just like guys who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm like bisexual. I like skinny femmes 
non-binaries I do with, actually with vaginas. Think we need to be we need to turn our focus on to bisexual men because I think that they're mm-hmm. a problem in They're starting society. they're starting to get a little too confident. No, no, and about they, starting. But they they just it's, like they were it's hiding becoming too behind much. the annoyingness of the bisexual mm-hmm. women, but I've always had my eye That's on what them. I mean is that they're now like, they're becoming so prominent with their with ooh, their equal annoyance to me. Go, ooh, ooh, uh, <laughs> I why are you asking me who painted my nails black? Like do you think I'm talking to other girls? I'm Gosh, not, but girl. like when you ask me these questions, it, it reminds me a lot of my mom and like I'm still dealing with my trauma for when my parents oof. got divorced in the third grade. Oof, um, oof, buddy, that's that's a heckin' that, that's a heckin'. heckin'. <laughs> they don't say heckin'. Who who are you impersonating? Now you're, t- you're turning into like a millennial man that listens to podcasts. That's a different kind of guy. I'm Just, thinking of a skater mm-hmm. in Vans. With like long shaggy hair and like mm-hmm. chipped black nail polish, it's always chipped, mm-hmm. and he won't tell you who paints his nails, but he doesn't have any black nail polish in his house. <laughs> anyway, we are doing a best of and worst of list. Yeah. Um, Obama isn't the only one something. who can have lists. We can yeah, have lists we too. We can have lists too, <laughs> and my list is probably better than his. Kenny, would mm-hmm. you like to number one go first? And, okay. and number two, pick the category. Oh, sure. Um, why don't we go with books first? Oh, okay. I think that would be fun. My, my big category, the only one I have yeah. things in. <laughs> you go first. Well, I just thought let's let's bang them out, you know. Yeah. Um, so I've got I've got quite a couple here. Um, oh, also, I feel like we should set just the parameters for the list that we just that we made that were are just like we're not going for um things that came out in 2022 necessarily um they're just things we enjoyed that we did or saw or read in 2022 so i just wanted to yeah i am not that. keeping up with new yeah. shit it turns out i thought i'm, I'm, I thought I'm maybe almost 30 I was, but i'm not <laughs> i am am i almost 30 in, in like if you round up yeah if you round up i, I i'm definitely almost 30 and I've, I've got two years on me um but yeah, I um I read quite a few things. I didn't read too much uh nonfiction this year. Um I don't know, I just I just didn't get around to it. Uh besides, of course, you know, rereading Dwarven for our series. Um what I did read, and if you hear me like going back and forth, it's because I'm picking up the books that I literally laid out here so that I can Why read did you them. have them on a pile when it was time to record, Kenny? They're they're in a pile. This they're just in a pile over you there. Don't ever record a podcast with with someone with ADHD. They never know you where they're ADHD. Are. Yeah. And <laughs> and are my books in a pile somewhere? Yeah. But you're the one that's yeah. talking right now. All right. All right. So anyway, there's the pile. It's all stacked now. Um, I did the one nonfiction book I did read this year was um, that I could remember really was uh, Mythologies by Roland Barthes. Um, it's oh, it's a, Bart, not Barthes. It's Bart. Yeah, oh. I got you. Normally, it's me that can't pronounce Damn. stuff, but well, Bart's my man. Yeah, I love. So my I name love on Bart. Twitter used to be Bart Simpson. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> I, I love Bart. I loved mythologies. I thought it was really, really fun um, to read. I really liked the essay on um, Greta Garbo's face. 
I thought that was just like a really um, fun read and also just interesting to think about like how like an iconic face can um, like change society because you think about like like obviously you think about when you read that essay you think about like the Kardashians as a modern equivalent but now I feel like it the they're so out of vogue now um and i'm kind of there's like trying three to th- kardashian faces also yeah like, also the kylie face is different from the kim one i'm looking exactly. at garbo's face right now because i don't know what she looks like um how like yeah, it was you know, kind of yeah she's a I, like i'm not i'm i'm reluctant to give a compliment Mm-hmm. To a Caucasian woman that isn't my friend Kendall, um, who's only a woman on occasion and maybe not for mm. much longer. We'll see. Um, and then I and then I won't give any of them compliments. Um, I have a I have a theory about the Kardashian faces. Oh, do you? Yes, you have to ask mm-hmm. me what my theory is if you want. Well, what's hear your it. theory? Thank you for asking. <laughs> I think that because like they, um, like astutely figured out that that their audience was living on Instagram and that was also like where they could make a lot of money they um tailored their faces to be like perfect for static images and I think that like people um talk a lot about how they're like having difficulty like pivoting to being popular on TikTok and maybe it's because they're too old or whatever and there's probably a little bit of like them not really knowing how that form works Mm -hmm. and and struggling with it but I think that there's also something of just like they don't look right in motion yeah um (laughs) and it like makes it difficult to like watch it's it's difficult to, to watch their show too but in their show it's like like the Real Housewives, where everyone looks mm-hmm. like that, it's fine. But I think TikTok is, like, very, like, um, prioritizing the veneer of authenticity, mm-hmm. which is why you have people, like, filming, you know, just, like, holding their phone camera in their hands, even when they have lots and lots of money and could very easily, like put that phone on a tripod you know that they have a ring light behind their phone but they're still holding it in their hands like it's right. you know like attempting to seem um real and so that i think is also why like instagram face has fallen out of fashion because that's not where the money is to be made as an influencer to the same extent mm-hmm. um and it like prioritizes a different kind of beauty yeah and so I, like the kardashians faces are just not not doing it anymore yeah. That's what I was feeling like when I was reflecting on it when reading that particular essay, I felt like, especially because the, the nature of like a, uh, like ideal face, especially one that can now be like really like on a quality level, be literally filtered to look completely different. Um, and how many like micro influencers and bigger influencers alike that aren't the Kardashians, who are kind of just like their sons and daughters um, have kind of taken over that landscape. And you think about like the wellness culture around like, like all the time I get a lot of videos on TikTok of people criticizing, obviously the buckle fat removal thing has been big right now, but like there've been women who so annoying. There've been women who are talking about like, they're like hot tip, like tape your mouth shut 
when you go to sleep at night um, to prevent fine lines or use this straw and then you'll look like me because you won't have fine lines. And it's like, obviously they're wearing a filter on their face. And just the idea of like an iconic American face, how it kind of morphs and changes, but kind of always stays the same um, was really interesting to me. Um, I read some... uh, I read some of Jeanette Winterson this year. I read uh, Stone Gods, which was really fun, um, like fun sci-fi. Jeanette's a, Jeanette's a wonderful writer, um, wonderful sci-fi writer, like queer lesbian, real cool. Queer lesbian sci-fi, What's, that kind of yeah, stuff. Wait, wait, um, queer and lesbian or like? Like queer and lesbian, like not queer lesbian, sorry. <laughs> queer mean? Oxford comma lesbian. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also read Wild Seed um, by Octavia Butler. So good. So good. Um, Definitely one of my favorites from this year. Um, It's about these two immortal beings. um, Wait, are you, you're now on not fiction? Because I thought it would be my turn to do nonfiction. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) You're taking up so much space. (laughs) Okay. So my turn Nonfiction. Would you be shocked to hear that my well, actually, I was about to do worst. I guess I'll do it. Why not? My take, my pick for worst nonfiction of the year is I read I read Obama's autobiography, um, the really oh. long one. It's so long. Um, the one that came out more recently. Um, there are like so many quotes in it that are um just like flabbergasting i guess i again america do not let a leo man become president again first he promises that this book is the first in three installments um because he's trying to go through i guess the narrative his of his entire presidency and really like what the book seems to be is him justifying not doing anything and then also justifying like only doing bad stuff one of the first events that the books goes the book goes into detail about is the um bailout of the banks that he did which george bush actually started but he carried it and george bush came to him and was like i need you to do this and obama was like anything for you w um and he explains why it was so important And then there, which, like, if you know anything about the the bailout of the banks, I um, I guess I can I can understand from an economist point of view why um, people really believed the whole like too big to fail thing. But if Obama became president and like won the presidency in part because people were so frustrated with the way that George Bush handled the economic recession and these banks also like gave predatory loans out to people that led them to lose their homes and then the banks get bailed out and then the people get nothing and there's a part of the book that goes into that where one of obama's advisors is like we did something for the banks what if we do something for our people like our base and it's not even as a like altruistic thing but like let's make sure that we shore up support on our base and then everyone else, including Obama, was like, nah, that's a little bit socialism, isn't it? And so then they just don't do it. Um, and over and over, he like 
you know, he just like creates these justifications for why he didn't do anything that mattered. Um, And I think that it's like, it's bizarre that it was as well received as it was by like liberals just because of how long it is. And I've not really read, um, I read a couple like president's memoirs um, and I've not read one like this where it's like, explaining why everything every choice that he made was actually the right one even though everyone hates it and also why any of the bad things that came out of that are not his fault um i am confused about why he's going to write more because this is not his first like autobiography he also has uh the audacity of hope his dreams uh, from my father and then he has like a children's book too and I think he has like one more book on top of that and it's like you are 60 how many life stories can you write also like the audacity of hope and dreams from my father both came out before he even ran for president he was just like a 40 year old senator that was like you know what I think I've got two two memoirs in me just just like, two it's not that interesting to be mm-hmm. biracial. Um, <laughs> but that was that's my worst nonfiction. You heard book. it here first, folks. It isn't that interesting. Um, I will okay, maybe I do best. Yeah. And then and then it can be your turn. My <laughs> favorite um, nonfiction book that I read this year is called Are You Ready for This? This is a long title. This Mm -hmm. is from back when people wrote the entire summary of what the book was about in the title of the book. Bible myths and their parallels in other religions being a comparison of the Old and New Testament myths and miracles with those heathen nations of antiquity, considering (laughs) also their origins and meaning with numerous illustrations. Um, Hell yeah. Hell (laughs) yeah. By T.W. Doan. Um, Fuck yeah. It is like, I think everyone should read it. Um, <laughs> but also, especially anyone who's like thinking about becoming an edgy atheist this year, mm-hmm. if you have like Dick Dorkin on your like book Lit. list to read or like, what else do people read when they're becoming atheists? Like, uh, who's that God fucking is dead, guy? Right. And then there's like. Yeah, yeah. The God Delusion is not the another who one. That, who was that famous atheist? He was always fucking smoking on TV. Who atheist? It, is I'm are you to thinking remember. of the, the magician? No. Like Pen Pen the magician? Isn't he also no, an atheist? No, not not he is, but I'm not thinking of him. I'm thinking that's of one like, of the worst kinds of people in the world. Mm-hmm. Magicians are like they're they're below stand up comedians to me. You can't do math. Oh, I think you muted yourself. I did. (laughs) My dog was yelling and I was trying to prevent the people from hearing it. Um, I'm thinking of Christopher Hitchens. I'm thinking of Christopher Hitchens. Uh, I don't, I know the name. I don't think I've like, I don't think I've read any of his stuff. Um, but this book is like what any everyone should actually read instead of that if they're thinking of becoming an atheist. I would also recommend it to anyone who just like wants to read a good book. It's um, the premise of it is like how everyone's been duped by religion. It's like you think that the Bible is real. Well, it's actually fake. 
Um, and it yeah. shares with you like all of the like prior to Christianity, like prior to Judaism, um, like theological stories and myths that are very similar to the stories that happen to be in the Bible. Like a lot of people have a story about a man and a woman and a tree and it's usually a pomegranate mm -hmm. and not an apple. The Bible isn't the first one to do that. Um, or like in Genesis where there's two competing origin stories that like Christians don't really talk about too often where like in one of them, and they're both in Genesis, like they, they go back mm -hmm. to back and one Eve is made out of Adam's rib. The other one, she's like made from some dirt, just like Adam is. Um, and he's like, you see, like, these are two totally different stories. How could this possibly be a real thing that wasn't just there to trick you all if they if if they're two different stories with two different meanings how can they be in there and then he like goes into detail about the character of jesus and how there's people that are similar to jesus in different religions and like jesus mm -hmm. is sort of the amalgamation of all of them and the miracles that he allegedly did like there are also like parallels to those stories in other places you could read it and become an atheist if you want to. And I think it would be like a lot more interesting of a way to be an atheist than like being like a logic like yeah. sort of sort of guy, like to have actually read the the text um that you are going up against. But it's, it's kind of where I've like, come from. I, I had like a pretty rare experience in college where I was able to take a class on the Bible as folklore. And I think that that's kind of the framing that you're thinking of as like an atheist who can like appreciate the idea of You are like... not supposed to appreciate it. They want <laughs> you to be mad at the Bible. It's okay. no appreciation time. But okay. I think that like you could also approach it from a religious point of view depending on what kind of religious you want to be. I think it's sort of nice that everyone's been telling each other the same stories all the time. But mm -hmm. that's because I believe in every god and i also am every religion um so i read that and i was like "Ooh, win for me um so it was it was a good book it was fun um i would recommend it and the other book that i would recommend as a nonfiction book to read is called redefining rape sexual violence in the era of suffrage and segregation it's about what you think it's about um, and I thought that it was a good book to read in light of uh, the changing legality of abortion mm -hmm. and the role that marriage played in the like former legality of abortion in the United States. Um, and I, I think in one of our episodes, we um, talked about the history of the institution of marriage being one that like codifies the um, relationship between men and women like as determined by the state and that like also like reifies like what women are expected to be as a class um, and it's, it sanctions a lot of uh, violence between uh, or towards women by men um, in, in the institution of marriage and it is sanctioned because it is saying that that sort of thing is not only acceptable but um, maybe in, in some cases, like, encouraged. And so this book is, like, um, going through the history of, like, the ways that sexual assault was, like, criminalized um, 
and why and when that fell like within and outside of marriage and like the history of um, getting the state to recognize marital rape as a real thing, which it still doesn't in some states. Um, and I think it's like a good book to read also right now as um, I think like people are increasingly becoming like very hostile towards the idea of like sexual freedom um, in like a true way and not in like a like a leftist man sort of way and mm-hmm. uh, I think also like young people maybe not realizing um, what the role of marriage like has historically been for and seeing it and monogamy and like committed relationships as like an escape from the uh like harm that can happen like through uh like casual sex and dating and i think it is like important to look at the history of marriage and um go into like your understanding of that with an open mind yeah those are my two recs yeah those are awesome i really like that um (laughs) getting into fiction i read a shit ton of fiction this year um these are some of my favorites um and i'm gonna hopefully go through them relatively quick um i read the first book in the patternist series um it's wild seed by octavia butler octavia more than one uh what in terms of best yeah yeah there's a lot (laughs) good for you i'm gonna yeah I'm going to I'm going to do a couple of them. Um cuz I just think people should read the books that I read. I think they're good. Um I read the first book in the Patternist series, uh Wild Seed. Um It's Octavia Butler's like obviously one of the like the seminal science fiction female writers. Um but I really like uh the Patternist series so far. Um I haven't read the other two books yet. Um this first book is kind of about um, these two immortal like beings uh, named uh, uh, Doro and Enyanwu. And Enyanwu is um, someone who can, tr- she's a woman who can uh, transform herself into any human or animal. And Doro is a spirit who can inhabit other people's bodies. And something about the, uh, and their two powers are so like opposed to each other and that Doro um, is very clearly like meant to be the antagonist just in like his pure action. Like his being is something that um, goes against and is the antithesis of, of what she is. Hers is to understand and his is to um, steal and inhabit. And he question for you. Yeah. You said that this person can transform into animals. Yes. Is this, is this no. a furry, furry <laughs> No, romance? it's not. You need to read Octavia Butler. <laughs> um, I think you'll like it. I've it's really good. I've read Octavia Butler, but that doesn't, you know, just that it it's is not Octavia a furry Butler book. doesn't say whether or not it's a furry it's, romance. Her books are more, are more focused on body horror than they are. Um, like if when she explores like the idea of transformation, it's much more about body horror, I think, than like... Um, furry 
shit. But listeners, um, one of these days you're gonna hear Kendall get up on here on their little microphone, and they're gonna tell you about how they they yiffed epically last night, okay, and then we're can all I get, we're can all I get to my books, please? <laughs> can I get to my books, I'm please? Being, Thank you. 2023 prediction. Anyway, um, so Doro kind of um wants uh to birth father children um, that have Anyawu's powers and his powers combined. He wants the power that comes from it. Um, And Anyawu has um, dealt with the struggle her entire immortal life that she has had to deal with um, watching every single person she loves, including like she's had a score of grandchildren. She's watched life go by her. Um, and so has Doro, but she has taken an appreciation for for life as it, as it exists, and he hasn't. Um, but she still struggles with the idea of losing everyone she loves. So he's giving her this opportunity while still being like evil and asking for like also just a, a sensibly an arranged marriage, kind of by force. Um, that he he promises her the idea of um, having children that will never die. Um, and there's like a lot of, you know, themes of power struggles. Um, there's also a lot of commentary on the ideas of eugenics. Um, and I think it's a really, really interesting book. I think that Octavia always takes like a really interesting approach to, um, and like a, a really deconstructs a lot of the, um, like classic sci-fi myths and tropes um about like oh like we'll just like fought like there's so many like old school sci-fi novels and short stories from like the the pulp magazines that were like oh like i get to like the fantasy of like an alien that you father children with and like you reign over the kingdom and like she kind of deconstructs that with uh wild seed and i think it's really cool um i read uh the books of jacob by olga took uh Tukarchuk. Um, I really liked Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead, and I've been making my way through flights, and I liked that, so I picked up uh the books of Jacob. It is the winner of the Nobel Prize, which makes me sound like like okay, but it's it's really good. I think it's one of those books that like I know that there's people out there who believe not you, but like there are people out there who believe that like you can't get um like something challenging or learn something from fiction and i would urge you to pick this book up it's the most densely like heavily researched uh book i've i've read and it's beautiful and it's so expansive and it's really rich and sweeping and just it's it's a beautiful book and i hope people read it um i really really liked it um and then just like a couple that i read Obviously, uh, The Stone Gods, Jeanette Winterson, another sci-fi novel. Jeanette's great lesbian sci-fi writer. Awesome. Sexing the Cherry, you should also read, but The Stone Gods is what I read this year, and I really liked it. Uh, I read Woodcutters by Thomas Bernhard. Uh, or rather, I reread it, and it still it still hits. I'll say it. Um, I read Ruth Ozeki's uh, The Book of Form and Emptiness. I really liked My Year of Meats, um, so I picked this up. And it's basically the story of a 13-year-old boy named uh, Benny O, who after like the death of his father starts hearing voices um, of 
and the voices belong to inanimate objects in the house. So it's a really uh, cool story, magical realism story about grief um, that I really, really liked. And then finally, my favorite of this year, or I shouldn't, I, I'm not like ranking them because none of them are like ranked, but I really, really liked reading um, The Master and Margarita by Mikhail uh, Bulgakov. Uh, Mikhail Bulgakov was a writer that in um, the Soviet era was heavily censored um, during his time on Earth. And this novel in its full form, um, in its full uncensored form, was released uh, posthumously by his widow. Um, and this is the 50th anniversary version that I have here. Um, I'd recommend picking up this one. The cover's really beautiful. Um, and it's got a newly revised translation that um, a lot of the people that I've talked to really like. Um, it's basically about um, the devil coming down in the form of like a French professor with his like band of like, you know, misfit toys, a black cat who can talk and uh, a naked witch and stuff like that um, and kind of causing chaos. Um, but also um, it's juxtaposed with them kind of meeting and changing the course of the lives of these two people, the master who's a writer who is struggling to um, get his novel uh, about uh, Jesus Christ and Pontius Pilate published. Um, and Margarita, who's his lover who um, would literally go to hell for um, the master. And the master kind of deals with what um, Bulgakov dealt with um, in around like the late twenties, Bulgakov um, burnt the manuscript for, he tossed it in the fire. The, he burnt the manuscript of um, the master and Margarita out of frustration and also just fear for his life um, because it just felt like he was being threatened constantly. Um, and he also just couldn't publish it in its full form. Um, and the master goes through something similar in the novel um, where he, uh, out of like just frustration and also just feeling this like curse of like needing to get the things in his head onto paper. He wants to kind of almost exercise himself from that need and that desire to write. And he casts uh, the manuscript for his book into the fire thinking that will like cure him, but instead it isolates him from Margarita and it just causes him more pain. And then later in the novel, the devil um, gives the manuscript back to the master and says like, basically you, you need to keep writing this. And the master is like shocked. And he's like, Oh my God, like, how did you even get that? And the, the infamous line from the book is manuscripts don't burn. Um, and it's, it was true for Bulgakov as well, because in the thirties, he rewrote the entire thing from memory. And when they published this novel posthumously, it came from his um, handwritten and like single typed um, manuscript pages. So um, I think it's a really wonderful story. It's a classic Russian novel um, about, you know, searching for truth and the struggle to be good in a world that does not want you to be, um, including like the devil, the literal devil tempting you to <laughs> um, not be good. And it's very funny. Well, speaking of the devil, I have a different book that I am recommending that I think was, I have two best fictions um, for the year. 
And I was curious to see if like the title is also really long. Uh, like the copy of the book that I have does not um, have a really long title, but it's an old book. And I think that that's like what, what old timey books were all about was that they would tell you everything that happens in the book um, in the title of it. And I was right. The book is called The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner, written by himself with detail of curious traditionary facts and other evidence by the editor. And this book is really fun. It was written in 1824. And I feel like sometimes I like to picture people from olden times as like sitting in an armchair and not moving, like wearing a collar and drinking something that tastes like bad. Uh, but I, I think people back in the day, they used to laugh, just like we like to laugh. And they used to laugh at the same people that we like to laugh at, which is like Joel Austin types. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. This It's hilarious. It is about a Calvinist named Rob. And Rob knows one thing for sure. And what he knows is that he's going to go to heaven no stops. Like, mm -hmm. he's going straight to heaven. Because um, he's a Calvinist, which means he believes in predeterminism. He believes that God chose him to be saved and to go to heaven. And some people God didn't choose. So, you know, like how it's somewhere in the Bible, like, let he without sin be the first to cast the stone? Mm-hmm. Well, Rob is ready to cast stones. <laughs> he's he's not he's hurling them. He's, he's pitching them left and yeah. right. Um, Rob is also he's a bastard um, mm -hmm. which like the in the, the literal definition of the term like his, he's got the wrong dad and you might think oh this is this is sort of saying something shitty about people that are born out of wedlock but no 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 because guess who his dad is uh is, is his dad also a bastard? Or like His dad is a Calvinist preacher. His mom <laughs> cheated on his dad, who was like a party guy, because she was like really like uh, devout Protestant religious and was like, he's not, he's not pious enough for me. And so she complains about her husband to the preacher. And he's like, Come, come stay in my house. And they make a little baby together. And that baby's name is Rob. And so Rob, he hates, he hates his, his legal father because his dad, all his dad cares about is partying and having fun. And mm -hmm. he hates his half brother that is like the actual son of his legal father and his mom because his, um, his half brother is also just a guy that likes to have fun and go to parties and he has lots of friends. Meanwhile, Rob is sitting in his house reading the Bible over and over, thinking about how he's going to go straight to heaven no matter what happens and that he can drink and drive because God said so. Um, he does not drink and drive because there are no cars in 1824, but like, you know what I'm saying. Um, he meets a charismatic fellow who believes exactly what he believes and says, you know, since you are going straight to heaven, no stops and God picked you out special to be one of the heaven goers, doesn't that mean that then anything that you do on earth is sort of like in the name of God? Because God said, said that you could do whatever you wanted because you're one of the people that go to heaven. Isn't it 
always a good deed when you're the one that's doing it. And wouldn't God love it if you punished all the sinners that are sitting on earth? Like if you brought hell to them a little bit faster. And we don't get to, to know too much about this charismatic fellow that convinces our friend Rob um, into murdering basically everyone else in the book. But we do know that this guy has hooves. So that's that's who Rob <laughs> meets. Um, and he he goes on to like cause basically everyone problems, like including and up to murdering them. But it doesn't matter because he's he's going to have them no matter what. Um, the next book that I have is going to it's going to shock and surprise you because it was written by none other than a white South African. Wow. Um, wow. Right. My Sometimes, jaw's on the floor. I know. Um, <laughs> it's my my diversity pick for the year. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to read diverse voices. Um, I do this thing sometimes where I like think I think I'm I try to like prove something to myself and then it ends up backfiring on me. I read the uh, like Booker Man Prize winner every year. Um, because it usually is like a decent book. Um, and it's like just one of the fiction books that I'll add to my list. And I saw that in 2021, the winner or the winner for 2021 was this book called The Promise by David Galgut. And I didn't get around to checking out who the winner was until 2022. But I looked at the title and the description of the book. And I was like, wait, this, this person, the winner is a South African. And I got kind of excited. I was like, oh, one of my people. But then I go, look, white South African. So I have to, I have to ask myself the question, do I compromise my values and engage with art made mm -hmm. by one of the lowest forms <laughs> of people? <laughs> and then I was like, but you know, I'll read it and I bet it's going to be bad. And then I'll get to laugh at how bad it is and how these low base people can't help but make any anything but like the the Teslas and the equivalent and listener, of they did not laugh. This is going to be this is going to be a Tesla of a book, but it's actually it's actually it's like a, I like I liked it. And not only did I like it, but I was thinking about it for like days and weeks and like now almost a full year or over a full year after. Um, I think I read it sometime in early January. It is about, uh, it's like a generational story that starts with um, the mother of this family. Her name is Rachel and she's, she's in her deathbed. She's dying. She's been taken care of this whole time by her black domestic servant Salome, which is like basically her, her slave. Mm -hmm. Salome lives in a house that's owned by this family that lives on a farm in uh, Pretoria. They're obviously like white um, Afrikaners. And Salome lives in this house like at the whim of the family that has her working. And she like works to earn her keep, but that is not her home. Um, and Rachel, after, I guess, like, getting her ass wiped by Salome the whole time that she was sick, was like, I want you to own the house that you live in. I'm going to leave it to you when I die. And she tells her husband that this is really important to her and that she wants him to do it. And he's like, of course, wife, who is dying that I didn't take care of 
while she was dying. I'm so sad about you dying now, though. I'll do anything you want. <laughs> and the youngest member of this family, like, overhears this promise, which is uh-huh, where the title mm-hmm. of the book comes. Um, she overhears this promise that's made. And uh, then after her mother dies, she's like, so, Dad, you're going to give Salome that house? Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? I never promised any of that. Like, you must be making this up. I don't remember doing that. Um, but I guess at some point he starts feeling guilty and he goes, fine, I will do it like at some point. But guess what? He dies too of a snake bite, which is a classic <laughs> way for a white Afrikaner to die. Um, because Picking up a snake. Is, <laughs> is fighting them. And, oh, I was and thinking guys, more like dads love to pick up dangerous things and then just be like, what? It's fine. Yeah, that too. That too. And he, <laughs> so he dies like 10 years later. 10 years has gone by. This woman has not gotten her house. And um, lo and behold, in his will, no mention of Salome getting the house that she lives in while she's still like toiling away for this family. And without spoiling the rest of the story, it is like a really long time before this promise like even gets brought up about being fulfilled. Meanwhile, the family as a family of white Afrikaners are acting in a variety of depraved and low manners. Um, and it I, like it makes it, it takes place, of course, like during apartheid. And um, it's not ever like directly shouting out that this is about what is owed by white Afrikaners to the um, black people and uh, like colored people in South Africa that they um, like subjugated for so long. But it is like pretty clearly about that. Mm-hmm. And I think that something interesting that happens at the end is that, like, when this promise is, like, brought up being fulfilled, the woman Salome's son is like, fuck you. Like, that's, you know, he's like, mm-hmm. I do not know why you think you're doing a nice thing for my, like, old mom who's still working in her 90s by giving her the house that she was a slave in. And we'll take the house, but that's basically nothing. And fuck mm-hmm. you for that. And like, um, I thought that that was, it was just a really like, I don't know. It was a, it was an ending that made me think a lot afterwards. Um, because I think that there is this like idea around reparations that like when or if it ever happens, that it is going to like reset um, mm-hmm. like the relationship between the like oppressed and the oppressor right as if it's like like, equivalent exchange dust in the wind like all good right and when it is like at the end of the day like should it ever happen all you are ever giving like back is like what like should have never happened in the first place like Mm -hmm. you're giving this woman like you promised this woman the house that she is a slave in And Mm -hmm. you couldn't even do that. And when it, like, the time comes to fulfill that promise, like, if you're expecting a thank you for it, or if you're expecting, like, relationships to be healed, you might, you might be mistaken about that. Um, And it leaves it kind of open-ended. But as if, yeah. As if getting in the house that you um, experienced so much deep 
deep trauma in would be like a joyous occasion that you're like, oh, thanks. Like all is forgiven. Like This is, this yeah. is an equal prize to me being a slave. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, and the, the family in the story are also like um, farm owners in South mm-hmm. Africa, which like, if you have any like Republicans that are white people in your family that watch Fox News, then I'm sure that you've heard about some South African farm owners getting mm-hmm. getting murdered. Um, I don't know if I would call it murdered, but people are people are losing their lives from so, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that like what this story does is put into context that like this is land that people. Um, until 1996, we're being forced to work on mm-hmm. for very little or sometimes no money in return. And then after apartheid, we're like expelled from that land. And so this right. is asking the question of like, should that land be returned? Like, what can we expect that like rectifying of harm to to actually do? And it's not mm-hmm. asking like, should we not do it? But like, we did make a promise that needs to be fulfilled, but what's going to happen after we fulfill it? It was, it's, it's actually like a really good book. Shout out to this guy. I didn't like that. I liked it, but it was really good. And I think that people should read it. I didn't actually spoil that much of the plot because it's not really about like what happens so much as like how it happens. Um, so I really, I would recommend people read it. Mm-hmm. And those are my two fiction book um, faves. When you can answer, he's to teach me what to think. Trust.